Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. Minnie, how are you this morning? I'm good, although I'm a bit frustrated. So... Let me tell you, I like to sing. Singing is great fun. You know what I can't do? Hit high notes. <laughs> and so I'm like, no, I can get this. And I'm like, oh, oh, no, take it back. That you can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think you've got to you've got to look one direction. I can't remember which one it is to hit a high note. Someone who's an expert singer who's got a trained voice. Yeah, let someone us tell know. me. You've either got to look down or up to hit the high note. Well, someone told me that you shouldn't look up because you're trying to like stretch when you're trying to you're trying to look ahead to like land on the note. And I was like, what what does that mean? How do I? It's it's not. Yeah, a maybe real... you're supposed to look down. I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway, I was singing some songs this morning. Down. <laughs> Neither's working for me. Yeah, look, I'm definitely not going to demonstrate. <laughs> well, no, I'm good. I have no complaints. Just just that one little thing on the way here. I was like, oh, this is useless. <laughs> well, particularly early in the morning too. Yeah, yeah. It's harder to hit those uh, high notes early in the morning. Not that I would know because I don't try. <laughs> I whistle. Oh. Whistling is good. I can hit higher notes whistling. But you know what? If you can I'm whistle. I've got a range with the whistle. Some people can whistle better than I can sing. Like whistling is a beautiful skill. I can I can whistle decent. I can definitely. Mm, I believe it. G- get a decent whistle going. Yeah, give us a go. No. Okay. <laughs> what are you thankful for today, Lars? Oh, what am I thankful for this morning? This morning, this morning. Oh, there was okay. There was what was it? I had something on my list from earlier in the week, and I was like, I'm going to save that one, and now I can't remember what it was because it was a really good one. No. <laughs> ah, all the good things I've done this week. <laughs> and, and, and and I think I've listed it more. Anyway. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's have some positively different news there this morning, Minnie. Okay. So, Joe is from Bruni Island. Is, that, is it Bruni Island down in Tasmania? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, oh, down look south. at you. Suddenly uh-huh. you're like, hey, I know this place. Uh-huh. Okay. So, she was a mum. Uh, she she had birth of her twins and she got really severe postnatal depression. Ooh. Um, which I know a lot of women go through. Like I have a couple of friends um, who on Instagram a while back, they used to post about some of the struggles. I was like, oh, I just had no idea it was that bad. I know it's a real thing. I just, you know, I haven't had that experience. Anyway, so she had a really hectic um, experience with that. And she found that developing a home garden, she considers her lifesaver. Yes. Which I was like, you know what? That makes sense to me. Grow raspberries. Specifically raspberries? Specifically raspberries. Because of Tasmania? Because they're good berries? Or? Because they'll go, grow really, really well on uh, Bruni Island and they are nice and bright and red and cheery and make you happy. Yeah, that's the one. And they just taste good. I would much rather eat a large bowl of raspberries than a mango any day. <gasps> Interesting. Oh, the raspberries is way beyond mangoes. If they're good raspberries, though. That's the thing. If you have a good mango and good raspberries. See, I haven't had both great I've had like good mangoes or not great raspberries. Okay, so what you're telling me is you've never been to Tasmania and, I've picked, not been to Tasmania. and picked raspberries off the raspberry bush. I haven't. It's devastating. Straight into the bowl where yeah. the ice cream is waiting for them. <laughs> That's the one. Ah, so is it the raspberries or the ice cream? See, see, I used to come home from school and my dad would give me a bowl with a dollop of ice cream in it and say, go down to the raspberry patch and get your dinner. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, we actually had 14 different kinds of um, berries. Oh, yeah. And so it would be just, you know, Go down because they grew either side of the road. Go down yeah. the road and get your dinner. That was dinner. 
That is living, my done. friends. That it's is just living. Done. It's like how, how how easy is that? It's like a dollar of ice cream, a spoon, and a bowl. Oh, Go get it. Amazing. I wouldn't come home for hours. We, we we would stand under the cherry tree and just spit pips everywhere. Yeah. Or the green gauge plums and the golden gauge plums just spitting pits all over the place. It was the best. See, now you're just making people envious. <laughs> See, this is this is why. I mean, this this person living on Brittany Island. This is like paradise mm. because you grow all of this stuff. There's no bugs, no fruit fly. Oh. There's nothing like that. You don't have to deal with bugs. It's just the best. That is amazing. Ta- Tasmania is the one state slash territory in Australia I haven't been. It's the only one left and I haven't been and it's ridiculous. It only has one yet. downside. Mm. It's freezing. A short growing season oh. for, a lo- for, for those plants that rely on warmth. Right. So yes. your, your winter crops, you know, that grow slowly anyway – Mm. Of course, you know stuff that is um, that is not affected by frost. Although Bruny Island doesn't really cop frost uh, because it's an island, yeah. um, as much as you know, sort of anywhere else. Uh, but it, um, so long as it's not affected by uh, you know, it, it has a short growing season, mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. does grow a bit slowly. Yeah. But it's good when it gets there. Oh, one so day good. I will Just get there. One day I'm paradise. excited. Okay, but yeah. So basically, her property's on Bruny Island, as I said, and it's overlooking. I do not know how to pronounce this, but it's. Dentricastelo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I was like, this I is... do not know how to pronounce this. It is clearly not English. <laughs> now, when you first moved to New Zealand. <laughs> oh, I got so many words wrong. People would just stare at me and they're like, that's not how you say okay, it. Okay, so she's overlooking the Dontacastro channel. Okay, there we go. Brilliant. Yes. That's the one. Beautiful, beautiful stretch of water. <laughs> Spent so many, so many wonderful days sailing on that piece of uh, that stretch of water right there. Yeah. I was looking at yeah. photos. I was like, well, that's lovely. But yeah, so she overlooks that. So yes. she is in a natural ah, she's got, place she's got anyway. A, oh, this, is like, this is paradise. Yeah. She's but, got a lot going for her. Absolutely. Yeah. But she found that with gardening, it was just something about like the physical aspect, which makes sense to me. You're doing yes. work. Um, you're getting hands in your soil. You're outside in nature. For me, all of those things naturally help. Even if I'm having a good day, you know, it's just like connecting back. And so... Now it's become a commercial garden and even through this year, like through COVID, people have wanted to locally buy. And so in the past few months, up to 565 boxes have been made for locals on the island. She's also supplying cafes um, and she, she's all good now. Yep. Like, you know, this is a couple yep. years on, I guess. Um, but I love that she's providing local, seasonal, 100% organic food to just people in the area. And because she knows that it's been so beneficial for her. She's also opening up the farm for visitors to come, specifically for other mums. She's like, hey, guys, I want you to come and experience what I've experienced. So she's also now trying to branch into that a bit to allow women who maybe don't have their own gardens or own places um, just to kind of understand their experience and share that time together. Anyway, I was like, this is cool. Like, it's simple, but it's cool. You know, the thing I love about this story is about 150 years ago, there's a little lady living uh, up in the, the uh, New England states of the United States who wrote that one of the best cures for depression was working in the garden. Yeah. You know, about 150 years ago, uh-huh. her name was Ellen White. She's one of the founders of that church. I like to be able to have a bit of a brag every now and then, so just because I can. Honestly, though, hey. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, let's make the most of this. Like, <laughs> For sure, for sure. Not only did she write about it as being one of the best cures for depression, she wrote about the physical effects that it would have on the body because as you overcome the depression by working in the garden, mm. uh, that it affects every other part of the body. It affects, you know, heart disease, cancer, anything, anything that is debilitating oh, in your body is going to have a massive effect on it just by raising your mood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes so much sense to me. And and there were, you know, and there probably still is health retreats that actually um, pr- 
prescribe as part of their prescription these days. Yeah. Gardening. Yeah. Ah, so good. Gardening. Yeah. <laughs> is yep. the best. I, I used to think my, my my grandma was going to live forever because she gardened so extensively. Like she was a machine, and I was like, she, she's never going to die. Which is, you know, just because she was out all the time. And her when she got her what your health checks that you have to go to the doctor for when she was around sixty something, the doctor was like, you have the health of like a forty five year old. Yeah. And she was like, oh, that's strange. And I was like, is it though, grandma? <laughs> no, it's not strange at all. It uh, it's 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 one of the best things that you can do, and. Uh, it gives you, you know, because you get vitamin D, you get sunshine, yeah. you get fresh air. You, you just get your hands in the dirt is one of the best things. Always, if, yeah. And, and and then you get to eat like the best food. Always tastes so the much better. most amazing mm-hmm. food ever. And then what's even better, when you can share that with people. Yes. It's the best. Yes, as this lady's doing down there on Bruni Island. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I've got friends living on Bruni Island. Oh, cool. How far away was that from We have uh, Faith FM transmitters on Bruni Island. Hey. Big shout out to all of our listeners on Bruni Island this yeah, morning. Yeah, hard out. Yeah. Anyway, so well done her. For everyone, if you're not having a good day, just go start a garden. Just a small patch. can just be a little square. Start small. That's what I'm doing this year. This semester, I should say. It's a great, it's a great uh, stress relief when Minnie, I have... And Minnie now has a hose. I have a hose! <laughs> you're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Text message coming through from a listener. Gardening was my COVID lockdown go-to. Yes, so good. And, uh, yeah, it is It is just the best. Uh, my wife is growing a flower garden at the moment. You should see it. It's amazing. Just absolutely do your head in. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, we do have to talk about this new drug that is out, and Bomi, I think it's called. Oh, I haven't heard of it. Um, which is kind of like a mixture of LSD, fluoromethetamine and ice. This sounds like a terrible mixture. Oh, you have no idea. Like everything about all of those is great. It's just yeah. unbelievably t- – you get the worst of all three and combine it together basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, the idea behind it, because the, the, the reason they made it was to make the effects last longer. Now, the problem with that, of course – is that it doesn't give the body enough time to flush mm. the drugs out of your system. And so you've got a number of these drugs that are absolutely lethal, but the reason that people don't die from them typically is because the body flushes them out of, the, out of your system right. before it kills you. Why you would take that, I don't know. Because you're relying on your body getting rid of it before it kills you. Uh-huh. Uh, this one, because it's designed to last longer, of course, will kill you and has been killing people left, right and centre. Um, and so people who take it, they you know, lose all sense of who they are, what they are, where they are, what event they're at, uh, anything like that. Um, they lose all memory. They have um, no idea of, you know, those that do survive it, no idea of anything that took mm. place. Uh, they become violent towards themselves, violent towards others. They can't recognise basic things like doors and windows, and so they've you know got stories of people just running full pelt straight through into a door, oh, yeah. a closed door, mm-hmm. and having no idea that the door was even there. Um, but yeah, windows and all that kind of stuff. It causes severe it's crazy nausea. What it does to the mind, hey. Well, what it does is people are dying from uh, organ failure. After suffering severe brain damage. Aye. So even if they did survive, they're never going to be right again anyway. Um, so, 
Yeah, it's being sold and marketed apparently as being similar to MDMA. Oh, okay. Uh, and a lot of people who have taken it thought actually thought they were taking MDMA. Um, and uh, yeah, the only thing that it seems that the people who take it once they've taken it, the only thing that they are actually that they actually know that makes any sense is that they're dying. So after they take it, they know they're dying. There's been a few people who have committed suicide after taking it because they know they're dying and they just want to. They're coming back from this and they just want to get it over faster. But they they will typically they they can't tell you their name Mm -hmm. or who they are or anything like that. But um, it's been fairly consistent that they will tell you that they're dying. You know what? I know that we all make choices and stuff happens in life, but I actually have a lot of empathy for people who. Are on this track or or family members because like when this stuff messes with you there's just no mercy at yeah. all and if you're in that place where you know like you you can't backtrack from that no, Do you know what i mean like that's, that's right. the place where you know there's a there's times that i make mistakes with well, let's be honest they're not mistakes sometimes they're conscious decisions they're poor conscious decisions <laughs> bad decisions but, yeah yeah but mostly even if they suck even if I'm like oh these consequences like self you're an idiot generally speaking they're not impacting my life to that degree right they're not like I'm actually going to die from this Mm. that's that would be I think a dreadful experience to go through I can't even imagine what that's like yeah but we do need to mention this because if you you know the reality is that there are people who out there who take this kind of the Bible says don't have anything to do with these kind of drugs God knew about you know drugs actually feature opiates and so forth feature all the way back to the book of Moses the books of Moses right at the very beginning of the Bible hey the Bible talks about opiates and says that that, that they are like involving yourself with um, with idolatry and don't go anywhere near it Mm, mm. so puts it puts drugs uh, mind altering drugs and opiates in the same category as idolatry in the book of Deuteronomy. Hmm. And the Bible just says, don't even go there. And so God has known about recreational drugs forever hmm. and has just said, you know, don't just don't touch it. And so many, so many of us are so easily chemically dependent these days. Yeah. Now, I think- now you know, this is, this is the severe end of the scale, yeah. but even at the less severe end, Who's not chemically dependent these days? Mm, mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, yeah, I'm not chemically dependent. Yes, you are. Mm-hmm. Think about how much coffee, coffee you yeah, drink. Yeah, my first thing is coffee. You can't start your day without <laughs> coffee. You are chemically dependent. Mm. And, and that's really sad. I was going to say the thing with anything like that we're dependent on, but, to, but for me it's particularly drugs because that's probably the area I have friends in. Yeah. Uh, like, yep. And one thing, I remember this one guy last year, great fella, but he was just like, oh, Minnie, you just always say no to everything. And I was like, bro, I'm saying yes to freedom. Like, That's right. Because, yeah, I get that you want to experience all the things, but one of those experiences is literally killing you. Like, and you can't break free from it. Yeah. It has you locked like in. Like the it's fact that you don't addiction. have the choice. That's like, right. Oof. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that God was like, I want you to live abundantly. Of course you still have choice, but I'm going to let you know why stay away from it because it will kill you. Yeah. Anyway, so that's a that's a pretty heavy story right there. Uh, research coming out of the United States on spirituality. This was this was interesting. Eighty six percent of people in the US consider themselves to be spiritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty the, high. Yep, that is the higher the importance of spirituality in their life, uh, the higher their level of volunteering, community involvement, uh, donating, and voting. They spent money to find out what everybody already knows. <laughs> 
this was a Fletcher, Fletcher Institute uh, report. They surveyed 3,609 people with 16 focus groups over two years. Uh, they found that spirituality was mostly about connection and that uh, the less spiritual a person is, the more likely they are to go to a rally, demonstrate or riot. So that was interesting. So that is interesting. the more spiritual you are, the more likely you are to vote. The less spiritual you are, the more likely you are to demonstrate. Interesting. Yeah, so it's kind of like if you're spiritual, then you make government change by voting. If you're not spiritual, you make government change by demonstrating. Hmm. Um, I wonder if you put those together. That's interesting. No, I'd never, I'd never, I've never, but it kind of makes sense because when you think about the term um, activist, it describes a, a certain, often describes a certain kind of, um, person from you know a certain part of politics mm. um, that is typically has a higher level of atheism amongst them. Um, they found that forty five percent found that they, they were influenced um, their political views, uh, and seventy percent said that they were both spiritual and religious. Sixteen percent that they were only spiritual, and three percent they were religious but not spiritual. Okay. Yep. So it's cultural religion. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are atheists, but, you know, they've had a certain religion for a long time, so they like to practice it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning for his monthly update is Barand Newstratton. Barand, welcome to the show. We are looking forward to hearing more from the book of Genesis this morning. Good morning to you. Good to be with you. Now, Barand, we, um, in our in our last uh, in our last conversation together, we were talking about Abraham and Sarah. We we're talking about Abraham's journey down into Egypt and how yeah. that uh, when Abraham went down there, he lied about the relationship between him and himself and Sarah. The story moves on from there, and of course, they come back from Egypt and they come back to the promised land, but there's another source of friction that arises. Can you take us through? Uh, a little bit of the story of what happens as they come back into the promised land. Yeah, the 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 problem was, of course, between Abram and his nephew Lot, uh, his brother's son. Uh, both were well-to-do. They had tremendous livestock, and there uh, was always a limit on the water resources. Uh, water is the most pivotal uh, supply and an ingredient in the Middle East to survive and to be to be uh, secure. So. The shepherds of uh, both of them were fighting amongst themselves, and uh, uh, Abram felt obviously very clearly that that the discord between him or his staff and uh, and uh, and and uh, lots would be a bad, um, what shall we say, a bad influence, a bad token, a bad example of those who worship the true God. I think that bothers him most, and. Uh, that prompted him to try to settle the matter. How big were these households? I mean, when we think about, you know, a family today, you've got, you know, mum, dad, a couple of kids, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, what, kind, what's, what, what, what size households are we talking about when we say that, you know, there's conflict between them over water rights? Yeah. The, the uh, Lot was, of course, initially part of, of Abram's household as he came down from Haram into to Palestine in the land of Canaan. 
Um, he in the the conflict that arose actually uh, between some of those kings, uh, local and the ones from Mesopotamia. Uh, Abram mustered an, 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 a trained army. These were just not servants, but they were trained, and that amounted to three hundred and eighteen. Um, a lot of the, uh, the the landlords at the time, those who were well-to-do, did either attract people or whoever was born in their household became a part of, yeah, you could almost call it a tribe, couldn't you? So that was a significant extended uh, family, if you like. Okay, so not got, always related, but family. Yeah, so if we, if we consider there's 318 men of military age, um, yeah. That doesn't include women, that doesn't include children, that Correct. doesn't include the elderly. Yeah. So we're looking Correct. at a household that would be, what, well over a 1,000? Yeah, I, I think that that would be very much a possibility. You'd have to, you'd have to allow for that, yeah, for sure. And so then if yeah. Lot has you know, a similar-sized family, then that's going to put tremendous strain on the water resources of, of the region. Yeah, yeah, the main property being livestock. So yeah, that 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 really puts a, a stress on the sharing. It, it's really about the water, not the grazing land, but about the water. And so, if you've got you know two families of over a thousand people each, and you've got livestock to provide for that many people, then we're looking at several thousand head of. Of uh, sheep and and, uh, and 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 possibly yeah. you know maybe goats, cattle yeah. even. Yeah. This is yeah. this is uh, very very significant even by today's standard. Yeah, it's a very substantial. Okay, so what's the solution that Abraham comes up with? It's a, it's an incredible thing when you look at the story that Abraham uh, is the initiator of the uh, reconciliation, and I love the way that he that he puts it. He said, look, please let there be no strife amongst you. We're, we're kinsmen. And, and they were. And uh, in fact, he says, he says, you know, we brothers. Well, they're not. Because uh, Lot is, of course, the younger. And he should always respect the elder. But uh, it's interesting when Abram puts the proposition to Lot, and here is the characteristic of an Abram and Lot, that uh, he, he offers... Uh, Lot of the first choice, who should have really turned around and said, no, sir, you go first, you choose. Uh, but he didn't, Lot. Uh, he looked at the, uh, the, the the valley there, or the Jordan Valley, which must have been at that time a beautiful place, very good for, for grazing purposes. And, uh, yeah, that's what attracted him. And uh, he didn't mind the cities that were sinful, that uh, obviously... Uh, were a bit negative to Abram, uh, Lot was happy to look at the benefits, and uh, that prevailed. And so, uh, yeah, he took uh, he took the first choice. He shouldn't have, but he did. When we when we talk about the issue of water, obviously the Jordan, the the, the Jordan yeah. Valley has a you know a, a river, a major river running straight down the middle of it. It's got numerous other rivers that run into the Jordan River. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of water in the Jordan River these days because most of it goes for agriculture. No, but back then, there no, would have been correct. Yeah, it's terrible, right? It's it's it, uh, why people want to go there and be baptized in the River Jordan. I don't know. I've seen them, of course, but uh, the 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 River Jordan then uh, Lyle was very very different. 
the, the water came from uh, Mount Hermon, which is very much the north, the melting glaciers, uh, and particularly in the, in the spring, that really did swell that River Jordan, who was in a very deep uh, valley. Uh, the, the River Jordan, unlike the river now, does not uh, go over its banks. It does not uh, irrigate or flood, but they are flooding, as does the Nile. Uh, it's just in a deep valley. And uh, that limits it. And the, the other thing that is of great interest to the River Jordan is the uh, descent. So from Mount Hermon, so roughly nine miles, you drop almost a good 600 feet into the lake of uh, or the Sea of Galilee. And then from there, you have another 200 miles and, and you still drop another six to 700 feet to the lowest point on the on the earth, which is uh, somewhere between 1,300 and, and then 1,400 feet below sea level. And you can imagine that that, as a swollen river is melting ice and glaciers, that could be a very uh, turbulent river, very hard to cross. Yes, and, you know, I, I think we should mention, um, Baron, you spent a year living in uh, Israel doing, uh, you know, living and working and researching there. Um, so this is something that you're very familiar with. You sort of go to the Jordan today, and as we mentioned, it's a it's a muddy creek. Maybe it feels like it's about ten feet wide in places, and um, it's very yeah. sad. Very sad to see that, um, that 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 has happened with the Jordan. But yeah. back then, yeah. and now if we if we go back to Abraham and Lot's time, when Lot moves to the Jordan Valley to water, you know, because we talk about water being the major issue here, to water yeah. his flocks and herds. He simply yeah. takes them to the river, whereas in the mountains, I'm thinking they would be more reliant on wells and springs. Would that be yeah. so? Yeah, yeah you, you've got to dig for wells. You've got to get artesian waters, yeah. And so to provide water for your flocks, you've actually got to draw that water. That's very labour-intensive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's labour-intensive, correct, yes. Okay, yep. so there's, it's, it's, it's kind of easy to see why Lot uh, looks down at the valley and is like, yeah, you know, Abraham, if, uh, if we're going to split this up, valley versus mountains, I'll take the valley. Uh, yeah. That doesn't end up going so well for Lot, does it? It's interesting that he, uh, he pitched his tent, the Bible says, near Sodom. Um, and uh, the interesting thing, Sodom, uh, Sodom means burning and uh, Gomorrah means submerged, so... Uh, the, the, the names of the cities tell you what happens to them um, later on. Uh, it's interesting that um, he pitched his tent there, but he ended up living inside the city, uh, and that's what happens, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, the nearer you draw to uh, the world, the more likely you do are to become a part of it. I think that's the object lesson here. It kind of reminds mm. me of a couple of passages, passages in the Bible, one where Jesus says at the end of time in Matthew 24, where uh, iniquity shall abound, because iniquity yeah. shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. And it's like, well, why would there be a relationship between the two? Why would the yeah. love of many grow cold just because there's a lot of iniquity in the world? Well, it's because, yeah. I guess, by beholding we become changed. It's a biblical principle, isn't it? That's true, and, and the love for mammon, isn't it? I mean, the root of all evil is the love the love uh, for money and, and, and not the money itself because Abram was wealthy but whatever he possessed he, he saw it as pertaining to God I mean that, that was not a problem for him which became plain when he, uh, he returned from his uh, from his skirmishes in the battle to uh, deliver Lot 
So these were Abraham and Lot were nomadic people. Uh, there's a lot of nomadic yeah. people that still live in that region today. So this was not something that was entirely, I guess, uh, you know, unusual for the region. Lot ceases to be nomadic when he moves into the city. So that means then yeah. that his servants would have sort of, I guess, you know, or the household that big and the size of cities in those days, he would have had servants who would have been attending to his um, his flocks and herds outside of the city. Yeah, that's that is correct. Yeah, it's interesting that that lot yields to the to the urban living of Sodom and Gomorrah that were quite significant places uh, at the time. That there was a confederacy of five localities, of course. There were three other cities that were a part of that federation, in fact, five kings. And uh, Lot uh, and his family and Mrs. Lot, who became very attached, of course, to the, uh, to the, to the properties that they had there. And then they had daughters that uh, intermarried with locals, and uh, that was not good, as we know. Um, what is significant that at the time of the destruction, of which will come at a later chapter, uh, that the lot sits in the gate, and the gate is the place where judgment finds place. So he's he's actually promoted to an, uh, an elder of that place after the deliverance uh, by by uh, Abram from the uh, Mesopotamian kings, and so he's, he was well attached to that and well integrated into that city. Yeah. So these are, these are men that have originally come from Ur, which we've talked about before, which was one of the most uh, wealthy and developed cities in the ancient world and a very, very large yeah. city. Obviously, Sodom and Gomorrah would be small in comparison to Ur, but one would think with the amount of wealth that is generated in that very, very fertile, lush Jordan Valley yeah. that, uh, you know, you've got rich alluvial soil. It's just, you know, it's, it's yeah. a fantastic place. Um, yeah. One would think that these cities would be more reminiscent, even although on a smaller scale, of where Lot had originally come from. Yes, absolutely. The, uh, that that might even made him homesick when he looked at it. It would have it would have reminded him from where he came. Correct. Mm. And yet, God yeah. had called them to come out of yeah. Ur, and I think that part of the reason for that was because of, you know, the direction that Ur was taking. Um, at a religious level, it was it was turning very very strongly away from God. Already had, uh, and even Terah, the father of Abram, uh, had a, uh, a foot in both camps. He he, he worshipped the true God, but he also worshipped idols. Uh, yes, so we, that's that's we, a problem. We kind of uh, do have that problem popping up from time to time. Now yeah. we talk about this confederacy of five kings in the valley. Um, these would be fairly small cities. And kind of like small, I guess, city-state kind of uh, confederacy, that kind of thing happening here? Yeah, yeah, they would be. Uh, population levels were significantly lower than they are today, of course. Uh, so, yeah, you would definitely have a uh, much lower. Uh, so there was Sodom and Gomorrah, and then there were the smaller places like Edma, Zeboam, uh, and Zoa. Zoa was the only one that was spared at the time. Uh, and so that confederacy of the five uh, kingdoms, uh, little kingdoms in the Jordan Valley would not have been terribly, uh, yeah, there's no numbers available. But as I said, you might have had a world population of not, not even 100 million. Uh, mm. and, yeah. Okay, so when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the invasion of the Elamites. And they actually travel 
a very long distance to get there, which shows the wealth and of of this particular region because it demonstrates, you know, obviously their motivation to to travel to make it mount an invasion over such a large distance. So incredibly yeah. wealthy areas. And we're going to find that uh, Lot ends up in trouble. Abraham does a rescue. Um, these are all stories that we're going to come to next week, Baron. But we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us with our monthly update on the Book of Genesis. Uh, pleasure. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.